Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined today by Don Pizzette. Don, how you doing? I was doing okay until before the show, these guys started singing, and now I have uh, descended to a new level of hell. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. And my uh, uh, duet partner, Daniel, how are you today? Uh, well, I'm, I'm running through the lyrics of Come Sail Away on my head right now, yeah, so just, I have to finish it. Just, yeah, we'll give you a moment, and as you do, I will introduce our guest today, uh, who is Ronnie Takazowski, who is the Principal Threat Advisor at CoFence. Ronnie, how you doing? Doing great. How are y'all? Not bad. And how well did I do on that name? <laughs> you did good. You did good. You know, so it's funny. It wasn't butchered too bad. So. You, you said it was, like, we were talking before, and you said your last name's Polish, but the way you, Peter just said it, it sounded almost Japanese. Takazowski. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. It, yeah. it does. Yeah, I've heard Tako, Takazowski, Tokokowski, uh, Takokatsky. Um, I've heard it all. So, yeah, if, if somebody messes up, I'm like, whatever. There's like more, <laughs> more things in life to worry about than like a messed up last name. So. And how did you not open like a taco truck as a as a business instead of? becoming a principal threat advisor. How do you know he hasn't? Be, because the money, the money and information security was better. And it's mm -hmm. something where, uh, because I would go and make only tacos El Pastor, like that's the only taco I would make. It's one of the best ones out there ever. So mm -hmm. people would be like, oh, we want these other like chorizo ones. Yeah, and whatnot. Like, tacos, oh, tacos, plus getting tacos those, El Pastor is where it's at, man. Plus getting those cats on those skis. It's not yeah, easy. Yeah, it's eat. tough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah the, the, hard, the, the hardest part, and the hardest part with the cats on the skis is getting the four skis trying to line right? up. Yeah. together with everything yeah oh, you yeah. don't do like two skis with two oh anyway. no that's too advanced yeah all right yeah that's that's a great thing. it's like one of the debates <laughs> of like where do dogs wear pants like yeah. on all four legs mm -hmm. just the back it's, it's great it is a great question mm -hmm. all right well speaking of great questions we have uh we have five uh for ronnie so let's jump into our rapid fire questions who do you work for what's new who are you what's happening what's wrong with you all right, Ronnie, in this segment, we are going to rapidly fire questions at you. We'll rotate through each of us and ask you stuff. Uh, you'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. You'll see a little timer on the right-hand side of your screen. If you take too long, we will buzz you like that and move on to the next okay. question. The first question is coming at you from Peter. All right, no pressure. So start with an easy one. So let's talk about CoFence. So so what do you guys do at the company and, uh, and kind of, uh, you know, how are you helping people defend themselves? So one of the things that we do here at CoFence is we help train users on not clicking phishing emails. So it's something where we put out a lot of awareness on the different types of threats that are out there. Uh, we have several uh, appliances that help empower the users in order to report those type of phishing emails from their inboxes into the security practitioners who are seeing it. And the benefit of doing that is that contrary to most email gateways out there that focus on just the malware and focus on those aspects of it, it's something where you're able to help work with the user and use them almost as a sensor, if you will, in order to help identify new attacks as they're coming in. All right. Now, I know you are a principal threat advisor, and I'm, I'm always curious with security titles. What, what exactly are your responsibilities? What, what do you do on an average day? So my, a lot of my responsibilities comes around Nigerian fraud, and that's the main focus I've had over the last six years, is trying to understand just what this big dumpster fire of a thing is that we know <laughs> is Nigerian fraud. Um, so it's something where that's a lot of the area that I work on, uh, specifically business email compromise, which is where I got my focus on that. Um, that can include anything from working with romance victims to working with law enforcement to identifying new attacks that the actors are using to understanding the geopolitical attentions playing with Nigeria and other countries that are involved 
involved with this all the way to studying the voodoo and the religious aspect of it that the actors are using in order to continue siphoning more money out from their victims. Uh, and unfortunately, it does touch on human sacrifices and stuff, too. But again, it's all areas of Nigerian fraud that most people don't want to look at because we see headlines of ransomware. And we think that's where the big problem is right now. But when you look at the losses, that's not where the problem is. That's really interesting. And uh, you actually kind of answered. I got a two part question for you. One is sure. for the uninitiated out there. Let's talk a little bit about what BEC is so that we can all understand that conversation. And then what drew you to that as being kind of like you're one of your primary focuses? Why are you so interested in that? I think I might have uh, a better clue now. Oh, boy. So I only have a minute for this one. You said? <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I, I could talk on this one for an hour. But when most people think of business email compromise, they think of what's traditionally known as CEO spoofing. Um, and what that is, is that's where someone pretends to be the CEO of a company. They'll send an email to someone within the organization and say, hey, I need you to do this wire transfer for me. Once they do that wire transfer, then that's where the money gets lost is it's that security mechanism that drops. Um, as for how I went into business email compromise, I will almost say it chose me. Um, it was a problem that I sort of inherited as I started tracking it. And I went into it having these great ambitions of, oh, I'm going to be the one to help solve BEC. We're going to go and do this, knock it out in a year, and everything's going to be all great and hunky-dory. <laughs> but the longer I'm in the field, the longer we've been working with it, to be more, uh, more I'm realizing that it's not going to be a small thing to go away anytime soon. Mm. So. You did it under a minute there. So uh, doing some research on you. <laughs> I'm impressed with, I'm impressed I, with that. Like I said, I can usually not keep that under a minute. Yeah, so. that's fantastic. I assumed it's because, you know, you were just trying to get your money back. But so it, it said in some of the reading I did that you've actually worked directly with BEC scammers. So how does that come about? Are these like reformed scammers or, uh, you know, are you talking to people on the dark side? So it's, it, it goes both ways. So it can be simple as... If you receive a phishing email, uh, responding back to it, um, there's some phishing emails where you'll elicit a response back. There's some that won't. So on the business email compromise side, if you respond back to the scammer, more than likely than not, they'll they'll respond back to you and they'll entertain you talking back and forth with them. Um, so that's area number one where I've engaged with scammers. I've been doing that for for multi, multiple years now. Um, I've done some on the APC side as well of engaging back and forth with actors there. Um, but for the reform side, yes, there's actually been cases where we've actually flipped former scammers and have used them to help understand that this entire ecosystem known as Nigerian fraud and business email compromise. That's very cool. Uh, so uh, finally, I, I read where you said that you've, quote, sent thousands of fake W-2s to actors purely out of spite. And I'm, I'm curious, like, what does that do? Is it just like flooding them in, in fake paperwork so they have to, you know, spend their time trying to figure out which, which things are real? So the great so the great thing was this one wasn't my idea. This was some information we had captured in a previous company where someone had sent fake W2s to the scammers um, and kind of tainted that chain. And to give you an idea of how far that chain went when that went, um, it went all the way down to the actors purchasing and then complaining that the W2s were fake. So I saw that and I'm like, that's a wonderful idea. I can go and piss in the entire data stream and they'll have no idea what to go, what's going to happen. So I forged my, I made a docu, a W2 forger where I could forge the documents, send it over to the scammers and be like, here's your fake W2s. Good luck trying to register these with the IRS. Cause again, it was all fake information that they were receiving, but enough of a beacon to where it should have hopefully been captured on the backside for them. That makes sense. I guess nice. the more time they're, they're wasting um, trying yep. to, to get through that data is 
Mm-hmm. That's time they're they're getting real stuff. All right. Well, let's dig in a little bit more. You know, Daniel kind of asked about um, BC attacks and kind of what they are, and I think we've we've covered that now. But you know, you said you could talk for a while on that. So so let's do just that. I want to understand. Yep. You know, is, is this something? that's on the rise i mean i know i saw that ceo email uh, that exact one a that lot. you described seven years ago eight years ago mm-hmm. you know it's the first time i i kind of came across that are these on the rise do people know that they're there now or is that uh, uh are they evolving where, where are we at so i would say right now we're in the evolving stage and saying it's on the rise versus being stagnant it's hard to define. And the reason it's so hard to define, I'll kind of elaborate on that in a second. But when it comes to tracking business email compromise, you have to remember that it's not just the CEO spoof that the actors are using. They will go and do things like sending fake checks to people. They will go and engage with romance victims. They will go and file FEMA fraud. They will go and file for unemployment claims. Um, And they'll go do this entire gamut of other things that is not tracked in that BEC bucket per se, but it's done by the exact same people. Um, You've got cases where they'll do carding as well. But again, it's something where they touch a whole lot of other things other than just business email compromise as a whole. And that's why I often refer to it as a dumpster fire and both (laughs) literally literally and figuratively here, because when you go and look up any statistic on business email compromise, it's going to be just that one thing, that one instance where, they're trying to engage with an organization in order to steal money. But when you go and look at the fact that they have romance scams that are tied to this, you have human sacrifices in Nigeria, you have instances of um, escorts being ran in Italy um, tied back to very large criminal syndicates and BEC rings that are now global organizations. And it's so big, you literally have the Italian mafia who has been charged with doing business email compromise. Um, It's something where this, stuff seriously touches every single thing that we do in life. And uh, the unfortunate truth is that a lot of this stuff gets lost at the lower levels of law enforcement. So for example, if you have a romance victim who is being socially engineered in order to receive and wire money as part of one of these BEC schemes, that victim will usually go to their local law enforcement in order to say, hey, I was victimized in this and everything. But when it comes to actually tracking and arresting the people who are behind that, that now ends up touching on international side of it and everything. Your local PD is not going to do that. They don't have the cycles to go and do that. They're busy working other cases like who's speeding or who has their um, their inspection sticker that's that's dead and everything. That's that's the type of things that they work. So it's a multitude. There's several areas of it that have caused this to be such a big problem. Um, and when you go and look at the business email compromise, you're right. It's been going around for the last six, seven years, and we've seen this for a very long time. But when you actually look and track and realize that the people who are behind a lot of these things are called Yahoo Boys on locally in Nigeria, and when you realize that the Yahoo Boys have been running all these other crimes um, known as 419 scams, again, those Nigerian print scams and everything, um, it's something where when you track that back, you're now tracking 20, 25 years back in history where business email compromise is something that has only recently popped up within the last six, seven years. But the same actors are doing the same thing. And the only reason we track BEC is its own individual thing is because to start targeting companies. So that's where the problem is right now is that when we go and look at this, it's something where it touches an entire gamut of other things. Your actors are doing all these other things, but we have yet to definitively make the link to say, hey, here's business email compromise. This is a part of the thing, but these same people are doing 
25 different other things as well. Now, I'm curious about something. I want to circle back to uh, CEO, CEO scooping. If I can say can it, CEO it scooping. I can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I get I get these a lot. You know, I probably get I, I likely have one in my spam items right now. I get one about every day. Uh, but a very common one that I get is where they're asking for me to send Apple gift cards, and I've always yep. wondered. Let's say that I I was a sucker and I fell for it, and I <laughs> sent them the Apple gift cards. What what exactly do they do with the Apple gift cards? Yep. So once they have the Apple gift card, there are different cryptocurrency exchanges that they can use. And what they can do is they can take that gift card and have, excuse me, and have you take a picture of the back of it and say, hey, once you take a picture of that back, send it to me and send me a picture of your receipt. What they do is they sell that on these different exchanges where they convert that directly over to Bitcoin. So what they'll do is if you, let's say that you go and send $100 of an iTunes gift card, they can sell that for 75 or 80 bucks in Bitcoin. Um, And the benefit to doing that over the regular traditional money laundering side is in order to launder the money, it has to go through several steps and it gets a cut all along the way. But once they steal that gift card, it goes directly to cryptocurrency. They can immediately cash out and it's within minutes that they can have that money um, successfully laundered. And the hardest part is that when it comes to tracking those gift cards, um, most organizations don't track it. And even if you were trying to work with the people who even create those gift cards, like the organization just don't track it as a fraudulent mechanism, if you will. So it just gets really lost at that point. And a, a couple of times you've mentioned human sacrifice. I, I don't think I've heard that story. I mean, <laughs> certainly I know yeah, about yeah. human sacrifice, know, right? Sacrifice. I've seen Indiana Jones. Stuff, yeah, but, of course. but how does that apply here? Sure. So the way so the way it works, and I'll kind of use uh, the romance victims as, a, as an example of that. So once your uh, Nigerian fraudsters engage with a romance victim, they will do what they call uh, money rituals. And what a money ritual is, is it could be as simple as using a picture of the victim, bringing it to your native doctor and say, I want to go and perform this ritual to extract more money from this person. And that's usually where it starts. Um, as you go deeper into the juju, as they call it locally in Africa, but as you do go into it, there's different levels that you can use as well. So for some of the scammers who are called Yahoo boys, um, if they want to become a Yahoo boy plus, um, those rituals actually involve a human sacrifice in order to go ahead and become a better scammer to continue extracting more money. Um, there's other cases as well such as like with the Black Axe organization, well, they'll go and bring you out into the woods, they'll beat you um, to, to an absolute pulp to where you, once you go ahead and become part of the group and everything, um, there's instances where you will have to actually murder somebody in order to continue being part of that. Um, and to give you an idea of scale, BBC actually just had a um, video that, or they did a documentary that covers two years of investigations into the Black Axe organization. Um, and there was cases where they found thousands of murders and pictures on some of the forms that they were posting. So this stuff is absolutely and utterly horrifying with how it actually works. But like like I said, there's literally an element of human sacrifices that gets played directly into this, where they're trying to receive this quote unquote blessing, if you will, to continue extracting more money from the whites, as they say, or the, the Westerners who they're engaging with. Wow. So when you started describing it, you said Yahoo Boys Plus. I was thinking, all right, so yeah. it's kind of like Amway. And then you went a little bit further. <laughs> and then it was not like Amway. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> yeah, quite that, different, actually. I got, I got really dark. Thanks for asking about that. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've never heard of a technical scam becoming basically part of a religious. Yeah. You know, like there's a religious functionality uh, tied to it. Now, it's almost a part of their religion, I would think. 
and that's like, and that's exactly what it is. Is for a lot. If you look at a lot of native um, African religions, a lot of them do stem from what we would consider like Haitian voodoo or a lot of traditional tribal religions. And for a lot of the people who are practicing this, yes, it very much becomes a religion for them, or almost a, or another way to word it would be like a superstition, if you will. Hmm. Um, in terms of like the organization, like I mentioned, Black Axe. Um, for them, it's almost a level of um, black magic that plays into it. Um, and I have had serious conversations with law enforcement about money covered in pile of blood and dead chickens. And the reason the pile of money had to be used that was that big of a pile was because the magic in South Africa was not as strong as the juju in Nigeria. Actual conversations I've had to have sounds absolutely hmm. bonkers. Sounds like I'm speaking spaceships here but like i yeah. said it's literally conversations i've had to have on some of these things so you obviously know a lot about this you you yeah. work in the field you, you you deal with this interact with it what what are some of the steps that your organization or other companies are taking to kind of curb this to prevent it? is it just education education is the best way and the reason i say that is because when you go and look at all of the avenues that an actor can use in order to attack an, an individual, attack an organization, attack any entity along the money chain line, knowing how these scams work is, is your best defense on that. Um, because it's something where contrary to most attacks that we see in our industry, there is no malware, there is no malicious link, there is nothing inherently malicious about this. So informing the users about how this stuff works is the best defense. And that's a lot of the approach that we're taking here is trying to work on educating people on how this stuff works. There are some areas where you can go and you write a signature for it. But again, it comes back to like with a regular malware sample. Um, it's something where there is no malicious beacon, if you will, to say this is something that's bad. Makes sense. So if, if people want to find out more about CoFence and, and maybe engage with you, uh, where, where do they go to do that? Uh, so I would say just go to our website, uh, cofence.com. Uh, we have several products around training users on how to do different things, um, on different ways to have the users submit those reports. Uh, we have several appliances that can be used in order to scan and make that much quicker for your end user to see. So again, it's just some of the areas that we use in order to do that. And you were mentioning to me kind of um, off the air before we started, we're kind of at that time now. You mentioned romance scams a couple of times. Mm -hmm. uh, those are going to kind of ramp up at this time of year, it sounds like. So I wouldn't necessarily, it's gonna ramp up, but it's a good time of Valentine's Day in order to kind of just raise awareness around this thing. Um, and the reason that I keep mentioning romance scams is in regards to business email compromise is because when the bank accounts are being used for a business email compromise attack, when they're being used for an invoice fraud, when they're being used for all these types of fraud, your romance victims are the ones who are creating those accounts and they become unwitting participants in this crime. Um, so it's something where when it comes to working with the romance victims and everything, the best thing, like I said, is just the awareness around that. Um, and that's why Valentine's Day becomes, becomes kind of that thing to just raise awareness around that. Sure. Um, especially in this day and age right now, everyone's sad, everyone's lonely, everyone's depressed. We're all stuck in our houses and everything and we can't go <laughs> out anywhere. So for these victims who are alone and depressed and can't go and do anything, it becomes extremely difficult for them 
to try and see through a lot of these things. So working with that victim and working with that lonely family member and being like, and being there to help them, it's something where it becomes a human condition at that point. So that's why we usually put a lot of awareness out around this time of year. That's <laughs> yeah, really depressing. But I will say that most of the people I match with uh, on the dating apps seem to be fake. So I'll start sending screenshots to you. Just confirm. You'll be like, no, dude, she's, she's an eight. You know, you're yeah. a four. This yeah. is, this one's yeah. off. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, if it's too, if it seems too good to be too, it probably is. So quit sending the money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, should I not open by sending the money? Was that, is that part of my mistake? Well, so I've actually had conversations with victims. I actually had a phone call two days ago, as a matter of fact, where one Vic had sent $30,000. I've oh. had cases where Oof. one sent over a million dollars over a 10 and a half year period, $270,000 here. Like I've seen the whole gamut of working with these victims and the stories wow. that they have are absolutely horrifying. And again, it comes back to that human condition of we all yeah. just want to be loved at the end of the day. So what's the thing that we can do to kind of help keep that not keep that from happening, but work through that. So your victim realizes that they're not alone or that this is how these things work. Yeah, that is ridiculous. All right. Well, on that uplifting wow. note, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's almost sadder than the human sacrifice. Just, just yeah. loneliness. Yeah. Uh, but we, we do want to thank you, Ronnie, for taking the time to join us today. We, uh, I, I know we just scratched the surface of it and, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can, we can have you on again in some capacity in the future and, uh, and dig in a little bit more. So thank you. Yep. Thank you. All right. And everybody stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and look at the news from this week. Maybe there's some uplifting stuff there. We'll find out right after this break on Technado with Don Pazette. The IT Pro TV app is available for iOS and tvOS. The modern user interface makes navigation easy. Recently watched videos can be found on the home screen. as well as our daily live streams. Choose landscape mode for larger viewing. Access the entire course library by clicking on the play icon. Navigate our content by category, certification, and job role. Learn where you want and when you want as a premium annual member by downloading episodes for offline viewing. Watch on the go and pick up later on any of your favorite devices. So head to the App Store and download the IT Pro TV app. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Tom Pazette. Thank you so much to Ronnie for joining us today, but uh, really bringing the mood down at the end. <laughs> I think we will try to find some, we have some fun stories. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I'm really going to run with this because I think after the show, Daniel and I are going to beat the piss out of you, Peter, so right. you can become TechNado right. Plus. I, we, we've got to get that blessing. Yeah. Is, yeah. is that what Google Plus was like the same thing, right? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Maybe oh, that's yeah. why it wasn't so successful. Yeah. Like, I could just use Facebook. I mean, have you seen yeah. a bunch of dev people? I don't think they could take a good It's meeting. like getting yeah. the crap. Yeah. It's like the scene from Office Space with the yeah. printer. That's how you get Google <laughs> Plus. All right. Our first article comes to us from Tom'sHardware.com. I think we're still getting some articles out of CES, um, which took place uh, here last week. So Lenovo's ThinkBook Plus Gen 3 is an ultra-wide laptop with two screens. And so this this has a, a significant screen. I'd say like an iPad mini size right there on the on the keyboard uh where, where the keyboard typically is and the keyboard's all shifted off to the side so uh, interesting but wh what do you think of this look Don? Yeah you know I was talking to Daniel about it earlier today because I, I can tell exactly what happened here is some engineer some designer sat down and said all right we want to give a laptop one of those really wide screens because a lot of people are moving to wider screens for the desktop monitors and I, I don't mean 
like 16 by nine. I mean the like 30 20, by nine, yeah, yeah. 21 <laughs> by nine, those, those really, really wide ones. And so they did that. But then if you think about the way a laptop is laid out, you've got your keyboard and your touchpad, and then you've got all this empty space. And so they said, well, we've got to do something with the empty space. Let's slap a screen in there. The only problem with that, well, there's a couple of problems, right? Problem one is what the hell are you going to use the screen for right beside your keyboard? But the second thing is the keyboard is shifted off to the left. And mm. I, I've used laptops where the, the touchpad was not centered, and it really annoyed me. Well, here, like, the mouse and the keyboard are both off. Uh, I don't know. It just oh, seems yeah. like I wonder if they had the wherewithal to move the, uh, the camera over to mm. in front of the keyboard. Ooh, I didn't think about that. Right, because I have, okay, so my ThinkPad, yours isn't this way, but mine is that way because I have a full um, number pad. Mm -hmm. My keyboard is a little oh, shifted sure. over to the left, and when I'm typing, I'm, I'm like this. Yeah, otherwise yeah, it's, it's like super I feel like you have some kind of carpal tunnel issues. Of yeah, like it's just weird. And over. when you're looking at yourself in the screen, you're trying to line yourself up to look presentable when you're on a Zoom call or whatever. It, it always shifts you over. It's kind of a pain or you got, yeah, yeah. doing this. Right. Looking at the picture, I, I I can't tell. Like there's uh, this bar there's up that at the notch. Top yeah, and just where's the webcam in that The camera notch. could be all the way to the left. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, yeah. Uh, is, is this a, a prototype, like a concept, or is this an actual production laptop? Well, so it, what they showed off was a prototype, but it says it'll be launching in May, starting okay. at $1,400, which is pretty inexpensive. Yeah. Uh, considering considering you know, the... Yeah novelty of it uh but it's it's actually going to come to market well i mean to me it looks like a tablet you know it, it basically attached to the keyboard but that's not too different than like what apple does in its macbooks because we've talked before that the touch bar is actually an ipad right yeah essentially yeah. the the guts of an ipad i mean you're not using it to browse the web no but, uh, yes but, but i mean <laughs> the hardware behind it is but with this you could because it is just an extra screen and right. you could throw something down there uh we, we were joking earlier right that you're in a, a zoom call or whatever you could throw the video down there so you can have whatever you're actually paying attention to up on your main screen as you look toward the screen yeah you know, you're playing doom or halo or whatever you play or if you're an, if you're an artist drawing on the actual laptop screen is pretty difficult yeah. right so yeah. here you would just take that window move it down to your and keyboard it does have pressure sensitivity and all that with yeah pens yeah and, and, and there ha it has a stylus. Uh, a stylus that pulls out from the hinge area huh. it says too so uh, that could be a great point for a designer or someone or i guess a lot of that um you know written text to to type yeah it, that's gotten a lot better so yeah. you know maybe yeah. that could work too Personally, I, I would never buy a laptop that came with a gimmick like this in it because it's one more thing to fail. It makes the laptop really weird. It makes the laptop big. And I know that I could take a an Android tablet or an iPad and use sit it next Duet to or whatever yeah. to yeah add an extra screen. So, so speaking of it being too big, they have to they had to design a their own backpack for it oh, nice. because it doesn't fit in a standard backpack. Yeah. So that's another seventy dollar charge to throw on top of it. Huh. For their, for their custom backpack to lug this thing around. Yeah. You know, I saw that picture of the bag. I didn't realize it was custom yeah. design, but that makes sense. It's not going to fit in anything yeah. sticking out of all your bags. Yeah. You got to get your, a new desk. I cannot zip this up. <laughs> Make it wide enough. Now, this isn't this isn't novel, actually. The Acer has something very similar and has for quite some time, uh, where it has, instead of it being off to the side, it's kind of like almost like the Apple Touch Bar area, except okay. it's actually usable for viewing things. It's what three inches four oh, yeah. inches yeah and it goes all the way across so you're not changing the dimensions of the laptop other than maybe pushing the keyboard back toward the um the touchpad uh, right you, you, you lose a little touchpad real estate uh so you can fit the keyboard there but 
And I think it maybe make it a little wider on the base, so a little taller with the, the monitor. But other than that, that's where I can put my stock ticker to track yeah, my investments. Right. <laughs> right. Again, they build it for artists. You can have your color palette there with your stylus, do the whole thing. Same kind of idea. Yeah, well, except we all know artists are poor. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> there's a there's a reason they call them starving artists, right? <laughs> well, uh, I look forward to doing the article in July about the uh, support for this being pulled and <laughs> it not existing anymore. So. You know, like, honestly, with the chip shortage, it, it's very possible this might not That's come true. to market, but they are saying they're going to try and have it out in May. Yep. Well, they're actually just taking old, uh, you know. Amazon Fire tablets yeah, and just sticking them in there, <laughs> wedging them in. We got like six thousand of them yeah, for two hundred bucks. <laughs> it is. It's an eight-inch screen. It's uh, eight hundred by twelve eighty. So yeah, I could yeah. see that being a, an e-reader screen. It's a yeah. Kindle paperweight. It's a Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna stick with the hardware news here for this next one from ZDNet.com. The first Microsoft Pluton-powered Windows 11 PCs to start rolling out this year. The first PCs to incorporate Microsoft's Pluton security chip will be available from Lenovo this May. So it's all it's all Lenovo news. They're they're going full steam. And so uh, I was asking you before, Don, the the Pluton chip is not like an M1 chip is for for Mike or for Apple. This is this is a different kind of chip. Right. Yeah. It's a chip that's focused on security features. And this is not a new idea. Some other vendors do it. Apple. Apple has their T2 security chip that uh, you know was in all the iPhone and iPads, but now is in the uh, M1 MacBooks. That, that's why a lot of people think Macs don't have TPMs because they don't have a traditional standardized TPM. They use Apple's T2 chip instead. Well, Microsoft is doing the same thing. So you might remember way back in 2020 when Microsoft announced these Pluton chips that they had designed and they were going to push out. It's taken a while for us to get to the point where they're actually going to make it into the products we use. And this is the year. So 2022 is the year that we're going to see the Pluton chip. And what it'll do is at a minimum, it can function as the TPM for your laptop. Windows 11 requires a TPM. This is a great way to kind of check that box. But it can do a few other things in addition to what a TPM can do. So for example, it can uh, serve as the storage location for your fingerprint. If you're if you're storing your fingerprint on your computer, you don't want it stored on the hard drive where an attacker could get at it. Here it'll store the points of your fingerprint. It'll store those in the Pluton chip which is a higher level of security would be more difficult to get at. Uh, and then there's something else it can do, which has just slipped my mind. It has to power your PC in some way because the article says Pluton powered. What does that mean? Well, I think that's like Intel inside, um, you know, powered by Intel. It's not, it doesn't actually provide power. It's just, yeah. Right. I, it doesn't actually do anything but hold stuff. Right. Oh, uh, firmware updates. So oh. you can receive firmware updates on a laptop that hmm. has a Pluton chip via Windows Update. Oh, that's Because nice. in the past, Microsoft wouldn't mess with that because they didn't want to do... Bricking computers. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you've got a Pluton chip, they can securely transmit that from the vendor to you, and it can be automatic. So now automatic BIOS updates and so things. So that is a convenient functionality, I will say. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, I got a Lenovo. Lenovo kind of has its own thing that does that. Dell also kind of try to make that as seamless. I remember back in the day, it was like a pain yep. uh, getting firmware updates. But now having it just built into your Windows update system makes it really easy. Now, one thing to keep in mind, and I've seen this with the the Apple chips, the Apple security chips only work when you run Mac OS. So if you throw Linux on a Mac, even the Intel Macs, yeah. the, the chip wouldn't work. Well, the chip wasn't there for most of them. Uh, but on the Pluton side, I don't know yet. We'll have to yeah. wait and see. But I think it's doubtful that you'll get Linux support for it. So if you run other operating systems, the Pluton chip won't matter to you. Yeah, just run that Windows subsystem for Linux. Actually, 
A Pluton chip would actually be worse for you if you had Linux because then there wouldn't be a separate TPM. Right. So now you'd have no TPM. Well, don't do that then. Yeah. Just keep it on. Yeah. You know. Just so you know, I'm not buying any <laughs> Pluton powered laptops. It doesn't even have any power, as it turns out. I know, out. right? It's, it's powerless. powerless. All right. This <laughs> next one. A holes the right article titles. <laughs> Mary Joe Foley. <laughs> yeah. Quit trying to clickbait me. <laughs> All right, this next one looks fun. Uh, this is from ArsTechnica.com, and uh, this one is from our uh, one of our favorite segments, Doe. All right, so this one says, Canon can't get enough toner chips, okay? So it's telling customers how to defeat its DRM. Doe! And that, <laughs> that's silly, because uh, you assumed... Well, it, it, the sub-headline, I guess, says it all. Lack of chips produces, quote, no negative effects on print quality, Canon says. So yeah. the thing that they've been telling you you need for so long, now it just turns out that was all a lie? Yeah, basically. So several years ago, Canon made the very unpopular decision to start putting security chips on their toner cartridges so that their printers could detect whether you're using official Canon toner cartridges or if you were using third-party or refilled cartridges. The, the reason they did it, that they told us was, hey, we're gonna make your life better. Now that we have this new chip on the toner cartridge, we can detect when you're low on toner and let you know, warn you before you actually run out. Isn't that great? But what they didn't say was also they would make it more difficult to use third-party toners because that's where they make their money. Well, now we run into 2021, 2022, where we have a chip shortage and they're not able to get these DRM chips for their, for their cartridges. And so they're having to manufacture and sell cartridges without it. So now they're having to go back and kind of tell customers like, hey, it'll actually print just fine. It just won't be able to tell you when it's almost empty. You oh, lose wow. a little bit of the smart features. And so people are, are kind of getting a little bit more exposure to the fact that this was all BS. Now, you mentioned clickbait, Daniel. Yeah. This is kind of a clickbait uh. headline here because do you know how you defeat the DRM? No. You click OK on a pop-up box and that's it. It says, you know, third-party cartridge detected. Are you OK with that? And you say, yeah, I'm OK with that. And then it's gone. Wow. So it's well, not really. It kind of goes back to our idea behind how people fall for things like phishing, right? Anything that looks legit, they're gonna, if someone tells you there's DRM, you can't use those third-party, they go, oh, well, uh -huh. I guess I'm buying official, you know, what is this, Canon? Canon stuff. Yep. Here we go. Let me buy this, you know, $20 extra cartridges. But it reminds me of that Onion article where there was the, they were interviewing this 10-year-old kid who hacked the Budweiser website, and they're asking how he did it, <laughs> yeah. and he's saying, like, well, you know, I got to this that age verification good. screen, and yeah. it occurred to me, I could put in a different birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's been hired by the CIA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's definitely an NSA asset. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good news for for you folks using Canon printers. So you can keep printing without without worries. Now, I wonder if we'll see similar stuff. Like, have you followed any of the John Deere tractor mm. controversy? No. John Deere now does this with all of their parts, and well, so if you buy a John Deere tractor and a part breaks, you have to get a replacement part from John Deere. Like you're not allowed to repair your own tractor. This is a, a quick way to find yourself out of business. This is a big thing that's a part of right to repair. And yeah. so like used John Deere tractors are selling for skyrocketing prices, especially Just ones that were parts. manufactured before this. Is John Deere gonna uh, sue Billy Bob for writing, he loves Charlene yeah. and John Deere green? 
Well, <laughs> so John Deere has become a little bit litigious lately, and so, it shows out, changing Billy companies. What, yeah. Wasn't this an issue with Tesla as well, where there were fixes that I could do this fix for $200, but it's not official parts. I'm voiding my entire warranty then. Mm. And they would charge $5,000. Yeah. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, you're buying a Tesla, man. You got that kind of money, right? You, well, you should. I hope so. People Until spend irresponsibly. Break. Yeah, well, yeah. Here, here's what you learn. If you're younger out there, you might be able to buy an expensive car, but can you afford an expensive I, car? It's a different thing. I'll give you the piece of advice that I was given by a wise man, uh, Tim, yeah. uh, who <laughs> said, Don Rickles, <laughs> you shouldn't act like you have money unless you have money. That's true. <laughs> yes. Okay. I was yes. like, oh, well, you know, that that makes sense. It does. <laughs> like, like that D-bag in California that, that was sitting in the back seat while driving yeah. his Tesla. He can afford He bail. actually has he money. had the money, yeah. yeah. Good for him. Yeah. There has come a point where you can afford to be a douchebag. <laughs> Good for that D-bag. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our next article, uh, which is, that makes no sense. It make no sense. It make no sense. I don't know. And never to me has there been a more appropriate uh, <laughs> segment because I read this headline. Like so I read I, it to someone I, I else. Would, I didn't read this. Headline. I read this whole article and was like sucked into it. It was very interesting. Yeah, I was like, I only found a portion of the headline that even made any sense to me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this uh, verbatim here. Dev corrupts NPM libs colors and faker breaking thousands of apps. <laughs> I can see the challenge. Like, where do you put the inflection on yeah, this one? I, yeah, and I, I don't, I did not know. Colors and Faker were both in in single quotes. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I was like, libs. Like, are we talking about like the liberals or they've been owned by the NPMs yeah. and so? <laughs> how, uh, please walk us through this <laughs> one. Down. All right, so, if you can. Uh, Node.js very popular to the JavaScript library. Many people develop applications in it. Uh, uses a package manager called npm, right? So that's the Node.js package manager, uh, and so npm allows you to access a whole repository of libraries and applications, things like that that you can download just like you would installing Linux packages or Homebrew on a Mac or WinGet on Windows. Same kind of idea. Well. There was a developer, there is a developer, he still exists, named Merrick, who had two very popular packages. One was called Colors. And what Colors did is allowed you to take text in Node.js and display them in different colors, right? So you don't, you don't want great text, that's boring, let's yeah. make it red. Colors would let you do that. Uh, Faker would generate large quantities of fake data. So if you were load testing an application, you wanted to fill up a database, you wanted to generate uh, you know, just noise or size or whatever, Faker could generate that. These were free, open source. He developed them, published them, and they were picked up by quite a few organizations. In fact, Colors reported over 20 million downloads per week and Faker was, I think it was 2.8 million. Uh, so these are, are massively used. Yeah. Used by your average Tom, Dick, and Harry all the way up to your big multi... Uh, Fortune 500 companies. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So used by a lot of people. Well, the author decided to protest. And he was protesting against large corporations making use of open source software and not compensating for it. That's, that's not what it said. It said that he was... Um, protesting that they were using it and not contributing back to the community well that's so, what i read so that that is what he says so yeah okay. you are correct but what did he ask for so i th i took that as being like facetious he wants them to contribute he with said, cash he not said code if changes. you want this so so the way i took it was 
I'm taking this off because everybody's using it and they're they're profiting off of this. If you want it, you can send me a six-figure salary and I'll give it to you. Yep. Kind of like that, like well, a, an FU. But he didn't just take it off, right? What he did is he modified oh, yeah. he, both he of his, ta- his packages. He modified his package <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and changed it to have an infinite loop where it would just start spitting out gibberish, right? Which is somewhat ironic because that's kind of what Faker was designed to do anyway, but yeah, colors certainly wasn't. Funny. You're right. <laughs> and so people found that they, you know, all of a sudden one day on, I believe it was January 8th, right? So just a couple of days ago, yes. uh, their app started breaking. And, because it's spitting out gibberish. Yeah, because they pulled down this update, this malicious update, basically. And he said, look, if you don't like it, you can fork this and maintain your own fork, or you can fork pay me you. a six-figure salary. Yeah. So he wanted them to contribute in cash, not code maintenance. I, I don't know. I still take it, like, to me, the the spirit of what he was saying was, like, kind of, kind of an F you. Oh, the guy's a dickhead. Very well may be true, but <laughs> I don't know him. I never met the guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but that's how I took it. I, I I get it if you're angry at these big companies yeah. for using your software for free, but I, I feel like if you and not contributing back to the community, and right because that's philosophically that that's an important piece of that puzzle. It is, but if you create an open source package and release it, mm-hmm. is it is it like an expectation that you should have in in the open source community? I would say philosophically, yes that that is the idea behind open source is that we are all going to create a better world through giving freely to the community that will improve. And if you're not participating in that, yeah. you're just siphoning off of it. Now we've got a problem. I just have to think if, if your package changes text from gray to red, how many corporate improvements are you going to get? Have no idea. Apparently <laughs> 21 million a day. I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that was, yeah, I, I think I, took that. I think the guy. I, I honestly, if, if I want to go all in on this one, yeah. should probably be arrested because he maliciously. You now you can make the argument these right. companies didn't have to update, right? But that's right. not realistic Plus, either. Plus, you're supposed to check code, right? Like you, you never you just are. download stuff and run it yeah. off the internet. You don't just take somebody's package off <laughs> the internet, and, right? You're always responsible for knowing. First, I mean, any yeah. any first year dev knows that if I'm going to GitHub to grab something. I'd better know what the hell it does before I run it in my environment. Yeah. I think this is one of those situations where both parties are wrong. Yeah. And like this developer definitely handled it the wrong way. You don't sabotage I, people. I personally would not have protested this way. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so GitHub actually suspended his account, rolled back his packages to a previous versions to fix it, uh, and has locked him out. And he's upset about that. He's like, why are you locking me out? But he. What's well, his code? It, it is right. his code. So. Is well, he not allowed to make those changes? Well, he can't even handle right his own packages That's anymore. interesting. It's not technically his code anymore, Ooh. right? So GitHub, if, if you read GitHub's terms of service, like oh. once you upload it and it's open source, really? it belongs to the community. Your master branch counts right. as like a GitHub fork. Okay. And well, so, yeah, so they're, they're within their rights to do that. Well, then there you uh, I haven't read NPM's terms of service, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know how theirs is. But yeah, GitHub's is, is different. So it's, it's a huge controversy. It is. It's uh, interesting for sure. And he did change the documentation for um, the Faker library to say what re- what was it what really happened to Aaron Schwartz or something oh, like that. Oh, that's right. That was interesting. Kind of yeah. like bringing some awareness to this guy that committed suicide because. Except what really happened to him means he's a conspiracy theorist, right? Because I don't know. I I, I just kind of tertiary that read that part, but it's okay. interesting. So, uh, and actually, I don't know, Peter. Do you know the Aaron Schwartz story? I do not. 
So I'll try and sum it up real yeah. fast. Was he right? killed by the Clintons? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah. He had a lot he of a high body count. <laughs> um, he was a, uh, I'll call him a security enthusiast, right? Because right. he was a, a hacker. I'm of, remembering now. He stole a bunch of code from MIT or something. It wasn't code. It was uh, like... Uh, research papers. Research papers, That's yes. What it was. Tons and tons of yes. them, right? Uh, and so he got in trouble for it. Yeah. And they have video footage of him. He was sneaking his laptop into a non-secured wiring closet to plug in and start to lift all these documents. Right. And so he got caught. Uh, he was an activist. He protested against SOPA and several other things. Right. Uh, and so the, the government was like throwing the book at him, right? So he was looking yeah. at years like in 35 prison. 35 years. And so he committed suicide. Uh, and or did he? Well, <laughs> or did so he? there. There are people who say that it was a hit job, and it's a conspiracy theory. And so it sounds oh, like goodness. sounds like this Merrick might not be mentally stable. Gotcha. Wow. That based on his actions, or at least based on the yeah. information that we're seeing. I have it under good authority from a lizard person. Yeah. That yeah. That's what happened. They'll keep you safe. They good will. bodyguards. You just gotta. You just gotta get in good <laughs> with their leader. And then Except you're fine. when it's cold out. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh, they yeah. get really slow at that yeah, point. Falling out of trees and stuff. They don't play pickleball as well in the cold, that's for sure. <laughs> Sounds like a euphemism, but it's not. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this one's going like off the rails. Choked him to death over our there. Next, our uh, next one, you know, just continue with this, this chaos, <laughs> is tinfoil hat time. The moon landing was fake. Paul McCartney's been dead since Phones by Yalink have been observed sending encrypted messages to Chinese servers three times a day. Dun, dun, dun. So is that what? a conspiracy or is that actually happening? Well, uh, so it sounds like these phones are phoning home, if you will. Yep. So what are they sending? This is one of those situations where you have these low-cost VoIP phones. And I've, I've used Yalink phones at a few different organizations over the years. So they're certainly cheaper than Cisco mm. VoIP phones or, or some of the other vendors. They're pretty common. Uh, in fact, if you use services like Ring Central, the majority of the Ring Central phones are actually rebranded Yaling phones. They just stick their little logo over the over the Yaling logo. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those situations where you have devices that are manufactured in China, and they have all of the tools necessary to perform remote surveillance. So they could be leaking data, but we don't know that it is. That's what makes this a conspiracy theory, right? So. First off, you have the Yealink Terms of Service, yeah. which in their state that you have to comply with all Chinese laws and regulations. Well, there's a very well-known Chinese law that says the government has access to all of your data because it's a communist country. So, uh, so there, in their Terms of Service, they're basically saying by using this device, effectively, the Chinese government has the right to monitor or, or whatever your device. Is that binding in the U.S.? Or? Well, there's debates over this, okay. but uh, technically, no. Because what are you going to do? But what are you going to do? Exactly. <laughs> right. So the second thing is that these phones have a hard-coded admin access where if you're on the same network as a phone, an admin can connect to it. 
and can record calls and extract recordings. I've actually done it on some of these phones before. Mm. It's designed for testing and troubleshooting, but mm-hmm. you can do it. And then there's the fact that the phones phone home three times a week and it's an encrypted connection, so they don't know what it is, I suspect that it's a network time server. Uh, many of them use a default network time protocol server, which is a Yealink server, which is back home. Why encrypt that traffic, though? People encrypt everything these days, I right? Guess. And there yeah. are well-known attacks using NTP. If you can change somebody's time, you can do packet, you can yeah, do like replay true. authentication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why not encrypt yeah. it? That's totally me guessing right there, right? But basically, they're having to guess here in the article anyway, because we don't know what it <laughs> we is. We don't know. But three little pings back to China. Not not big enough to be recordings of phone calls, right? But little pings. Mm. So potentially, could these be used against us? Yeah. And so they're saying that this is set up just like the Huawei thing, where the U.S. government says that's it. The U.S. government agencies are not allowed to purchase anything from Huawei. Well... We might be getting ready to see that with a company like Yealink. Interesting. I just don't trust them. No. That's all there is to it. Who who them? The Yealink people. I I didn't know if you meant China. Like, well, at the the fact that there's a part of the phone which I have purchased, which I have no control or access into, hence these three pings back home, I should be given access into that so I can see what it's doing. And maybe it's causing an issue on my network and I need to troubleshoot that. How could I do that if they don't let me access that information? Yeah. So I want I want full disclosure on anything I buy. So that's why I unplug my IP phones from the internet so they cannot. <laughs> yeah. Now, Daniel, you, you know more about security than I do and I value your opinion. So okay. I'm, I'm curious. Th- this doesn't just stop with phones, right? So like yeah. smart TVs. Yep. Uh, do you have a smart TV at home? I do, yeah. So do you worry about what it does? Have you looked at it, Absolutely. how it reaches out? Yeah. What, what did you find? I didn't, I, I, you just see like the IPs of the domains that they're reaching out to. I didn't do any kind of like packet capturing to see what kind of information that was. Uh, but I did set up a pie hole at my house to go, I don't feel like this TV needs to be telling anything that yeah. I don't want it to. So, you know, you're going to have to fine tune some of that stuff because you'll, you'll block it. Oh, this isn't running anymore. Uh, kind of action. You don't want to block the actual things you want, yeah. like your, your stream, your TV stream. Um, but yeah, I, I don't feel like it needs to be telling anything like if it's on or how long it's on or Daniel watch Real Housewives again today (laughs) if you haven't seen season three then you just haven't lived sadly I think they're on like season 30 so (laughs) now it's Real House grandmas or yeah you know widows yeah they're all divorced (laughs) Real House widows at this point yeah (laughs) Yeah. has to be all right well so so we don't know what they're sending no I I don't trust anything probably uh, something not nefarious but could certainly be or yeah. could turn into it someday. So whatever action comes of this, it doesn't really matter. I think what it does is it, it sends a message to the rest of us that we we should really look at our devices and think about what those end user license agreements that we ignore. We may well be agreeing to the fact that uh, an, another government, not necessarily the China. Is I, well, you know, yeah. so all right, China manufactures just about everything we use they here do. in the U.S., but they there do. are things from other countries. We could have the same thing applying Absolutely. to other countries. I agree to join Absolutely. the party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? The fire. Yeah. Uh, what is your affiliation with the CCP, Mr. Peter Van Rasen? That'd be great. <laughs> the next election, they come out with that. And are actually, both candidates are members of the Communist Party. Yeah. And, you know, monitoring the outbound connections that our devices yeah. make. With a VoIP phone, you should know the IPs. It's going to connect to a PBX somewhere, right. right? So your firewall should be blocking those phones from accessing anything except for the PBX IPs. And, and if it's something as, as innocuous as an NTP, maybe I have my own NTP server. Yeah. Maybe it's more secure than your 
you know, Yealink server. And mm-hmm. that's, or I don't trust Yealink because I'm not Yealink. I mean, a lot of times, especially when you get into government agencies where you have to know and have that insights into those systems or you can't use them, right? So, so, so sorry, I know we're over time in this article, but just, just real quick, <laughs> could, could you potentially say, okay, I see the IP address it's reaching out to every day. Uh, I can go and I can block that. And would, would the phone probably, potentially still you work? You could probably like, if so if it's, no, it wouldn't because it wouldn't, that encryption, it it, that. it'll never reach out like all that encrypted traffic. It'll, it won't know what to do with it. And it's probably expecting a response. It might be a one-way communication. It may not be critical. Yeah. But if it's an update to something like NTP, then it is expecting something back and that system will stop working. So it's going to stop working. Yeah. Okay. It, it'll get out of time. You know, yeah. if that's all it is, but you just have to test it. You have to try. Yeah. You know, let's turn it off and see what happens. And sometimes it, right. it's no negative effect. I do that on my Roku's because I got totally pissed off at them yeah. phoning home. Yeah. Oh, they they love. Yeah, because maybe oh, yeah. they're sending yeah. the the user data that you accidentally you know agreed to in the terms you, of service. Do you that, think you can sell something like a Roku for twenty dollars without you know yeah, stealing without people's them data. selling <laughs> yeah. all the data? I love my Rokus. They're, they're super great. convenient, but they phone home like crazy. Yeah, it's like shut up. But the only thing that beats it. <laughs> The Microsoft Xbox, that thing oh, really? is constantly so talking to when Microsoft. When I got my, um, it's like a teenage my, girl. When yeah. I got my Xbox 360, I wanted to use it as a media center, and so I just like, oh, okay, well, I'll hook it up with a hub because this was like way back in the day. I had a hub sitting around. I'll just hook it up with a hub for my local network, and it'll be cool. And it wouldn't work, and it kept talking about a router. I'm like, I don't need a router. I don't want it to reach out. I called Microsoft support, and so they're like, well, you got to hook it up to a router. I go, for what reason do I need to hook this up to a router? <laughs> they're like. I go, so you can start getting yep. your data. It ain't happening. Yeah. So I couldn't use it because I wasn't willing to allow it to connect to the internet. And that's, yeah, that, that's the choice you got to make. Because in some, a lot of these cases, it sounds like it will not work unless you do that. Uh, but you don't have to let it do it. Plant yourself like a tree. To you. <laughs> All right. Want to let you know about a couple things coming up. We've got a webinar taking place today, Thursday, January 13th on Cloud Computing Confidential, Secrets to Leveraging the Cloud in Your Organization with David Lincecum from Deloitte. Uh, he's going to be with Mike Roderick. Don't worry if you missed that one. Uh, if you're listening to this later, it will be archived. What did I say wrong? I t- don't worry if you missed that one. It's not going to be very yeah. good. <laughs> really, yeah. I was like, Deloitte's a little startup. You've like probably I said, not heard of anyway. Like I said, so. it's Mike. You know, what are you, you going to get? Uh, what does he know about cloud that you don't know? Yeah. Um, but it will be archived. Head over to itpro.tv slash webinars. And that's where you can find that one. Uh, to sign up ahead of time. Or that way you can watch it, it on 2X. <laughs> exactly. You can skip past all the mic parts. Yeah. Uh, also, after that, we've got resolutions for your IT career in 2022, which takes place Thursday, January 27th uh, with Adam Gordon and Chris Ward. So check that one out as well. Again, over at itpro.tv slash webinars. And then while you're on there, head over to technado.com and you can see all of the latest episodes. You can get some swag. You can send us some feedback. We haven't had uh, some good listener mail in a while, hmm. uh, maybe just during the holidays. But some send good us, mama jokes. Right? Yeah, your mama, mama jokes mama about jokes Don's mom. mom or anyone else's mom that you want to um, call out. <laughs> but you can also let us know any articles that you want us to talk about. Uh, and then you can also click that big orange button that says uh, sponsored by IT Pro TV, and you can get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your personal plan. You can also request a team trial and find all the great features available to teams like the Pro Portal uh, from IT Pro TV. So head over to technander.com to do all that. All right, well, thank you so much to Ronnie Takasowski for joining us earlier and uh, depressing us. <laughs> and... Uh, Reminding me, I will have a, a lonely Valentine's but Day. But you yeah. got to admit, he probably had the most interesting 
information. Yeah, we have ever. not talked about voodoo and, no. and, and human uh, sacrifice and human sacrifice in a long time. No, it's been a hot it's, minute. It's been a bit. So yeah, thank you to him and thank you guys uh, for joining us and your perspectives as well. And we will see you all next week right here on Tech NATO with Don Pizet.